Awesome. Well, uh, good morning, everybody. So glad you guys are here with us. Uh, my name's Clayton, and I'm the senior pastor here at Central. And I had a whole lot of turkey this week, and I've had a whole lot of coffee this morning. Um, so I'm ready to go. I made some French roast in my office, some private label. That's what I call it in the Sunday morning. I have my own coffee. Um, but man, I'm, I'm ready to go. Hope you guys are, are ready um, as well. Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. You probably watched way too much um, TV. I watched way too much TV, way too much football. But one of the things that I love to, to watch on TV, and usually it's like on YouTube because it's not really on TV anymore, but it's like the, the how it's made. You ever you ever watch that show, How It's Made? I love, anybody? Come on, anybody? Okay, all right, thank you. I asked the first service, and they're like, what is that? And so, um, so thank, thank you for participating today. Um, so I, I, I love that show because I get to see how things are, are created and how everyday things that we use, the manufacturing process. And what, something that was really cool, um, last week, my, my son Corbin and I, we had the opportunity to go to um, a manufacturing plant that one of our church members works at and got to put the hard hats on and got to go through the assembly line and see how everything was created. And it was just fascinating. I, I love to see how things are, are produced. And I think there's a, a statement that I want to make this morning about every single person in this room, and it is this. Your life is producing something. For every single one of us, your life is producing something. And we're going to look today at a, a story, a parable. So Jesus taught in parables these kind of made-up stories that, that have a, a spiritual uh, point. And he's going to, to teach us something today. And so I want to, to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 25. And in this story, Jesus is going to be talking about the, the product of your life. What is your life Producing. So Matthew chapter 25, we're just going to jump in it um, today because I promised my daughter that I wouldn't um, preach too long today. So man, I just got to, got to get going. So uh, Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14, here's what it says. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. And he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. And he gave five bags of silver to one. Two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And he then left um, on his, his trip. And so your Bible might have said not bags of silver, but might have said talent. Well, what is a talent um, back then? Well, it is the Greek word for a, a year's worth of actually not a year's worth of wages, uh, an entire lifetime of wages. So 75 years worth of income. That's a lot, okay? So a one year's worth of income here, um, to, or one lifetime worth of income here in the United States on the average person is about a million dollars, okay? A million dollars for the average worker in their, their span of their, their lifetime. And so this one guy, got, one guy got five lifetimes worth of money. So let's say five million bucks, okay? Another one got two million dollars, and someone got a million dollars. And you might look at this story, something you probably heard before, and say, well, that's not fair, Right? I mean, if you, how many guys, if you're the one bag person, you'd be like, that's not fair. Anybody? Okay. Well, here's the deal. This is like going on Oprah and everybody gets a car, right? So everybody gets, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. Everybody was winning here. These guys were all giving an incredible sum of money, an entire lifetime's worth of, of work. And in this story, Jesus has a point. So the master is not just this guy. It is actually representing God 
in the story. He is actually, this master gives his money to these three different individuals. And I want you to look in this story and try to figure out who does this represent? Who do you represent the most? Which, which person best fits who you are? Okay, so let's look at it in verse 14. It says that the servant who, re, who received the, the five bags of silver uh, began to invest the money and he earned five more. So I underlined some words there, five bags and invest. This, this word invest, this verb is really, really important because in the, the Greek, it really actually means to trade or exchange. So this guy wasn't just going out and getting a job. This guy was actually putting this money um, to work. He was trading or exchanging that money. It's different than the next guy because here's what it says about the next guy. It says the servant in verse 17, the servant who with two bags of silver, he also went to work and he earned two more. So this guy with two bags, he went to work with that money. The Greek here, this verb actually means to, to manufacture. And so he began to use that money to make something and to actually make a, a profit. He worked with his money um, to make a profit. And then in verse 18, it says this about the, the guy with the one bag. It says, but the servant who received the one bag of silver, he dug a hole in the ground and he hid the master's money. Now, some people might look at that and say, you know what? That sounds pretty smart. Like, he didn't risk that money. He just, he, he retained it. And then when the master comes back, he's able to give that money back. But this isn't Jesus telling us this story to, to teach us about being frugal or being careful with our money. It's actually talking about this guy's disobedience. This man was, was disobedient to the master with his resources. And in a minute, we're going to find out the reason why. But I have this question for you. Why did Jesus teach this parable? Like, what is the point of this parable? Well, the point is, is that Jesus is talking about the product of your life. Because for every single person, God has given you a bunch of different things. And the question is, what are you doing with those things? Think about the abilities that God has given you. Think about the family that you have been given. Think about the position in the world and in the certain generation that you live where you have the opportunity to have an education. You have an opportunity to have the job that you have. Think about the truth that has been given to you. I was listening the other day, uh, a podcast, and it was, that's how boring I am, podcast about, uh, you know, like the Middle Ages, and they're talking about how uh, the, the gospel wasn't available to everybody. I mean, it was in Latin, uh, people couldn't get it, um, and so only people that had it were the, the clergy, and man, that's rife with uh, controversy there and uh, corruption, and, and people didn't have that. And, and finally, when it was, it was printed on a printing press, and you began to have the Bible available for everybody, everybody's like, whoa, I have the gospel now. You and I have this gospel readily available. It's on our phone. Okay, I was looking at the, the, the Bible app. Did y'all know that you can go on the ESV version of the Bible app and change uh, the person that's speaking to actually this, uh, this, this guy, he sang the entire Bible. And so you can listen to it just being sung. It's really weird. It would take forever um, to, to watch it or to listen to it. But you can have the Bible so readily available. You have salvation, this gift of salvation that has been given to you. What are you doing with that? What in the world are you doing with that? Are you holding that in and just saying, thanks, God, and just going on with your life? Or are you doing something with that? And here's another thing. What are you doing with the resources God has given you? 
In fact, that's the direction we're going to go today because this is what Jesus is talking about. He's actually talking about money and resources, and so we're going to talk about it. And I, I decided to describe these guys a little bit different. So instead of calling them the five bad guys, the two bad guys, sounds weird. I'm going to give you guys a different um, definition for these guys, okay, different name. And so here's the first guy. The first guy I call the investor. And the investor in this story, he made his money work. So I need to talk in, just real quick to the investors in this room. I need to talk to, to the wealthy people in this room because the reality is we have some pretty wealthy people in this room. Those who have the opportunity to invest their money a little bit differently than we would. And the question is, what are you doing with your money? You have the opportunity to put your money not in, in the mud, but actually into the market. And a chance to, to grow that money for some kingdom purposes or for your own purposes. The question is, what are you going to do with those things? It's a really sweet position. A lot of people are envious of your position. But what it takes to really truly live that life as a wealthy believer in Jesus is you have to have some contentment, don't you? Something we talked about last week, this idea of being content with your life. To say, you know what, even as a wealthy person, I'm going to live on less. I'm going to live like the rest of the people um, in, in our culture so that I can have this margin we talked about so that I can double, triple, quadruple my resources for God. It's, an, it's a really cool place to be. It's a crazy idea to, to not live with it all, but to live like the rest of the people so you can do some incredible things with the resources God has given you. That's the investor. He made his money work. Here's the second guy. I call him the nine to fiver, okay? The, the one, the, the worker, okay? This guy, he worked, he didn't make his money work, he worked with his, his money. This is the middle class. This is the rest of us. We're the people that we have, we have plenty. Compared to the rest of the world, we have so much. But we don't have like 100 G's to go and invest, you know, in, in a property or, or to, to buy a business. We don't have the ability to do that. But we do have enough resources that if we are smart with our money, we can double it meaning that we can make much of it and not just spend it all on things. You gotta have a plan. For most of us in the room, we need a plan with our resources. We gotta stop living paycheck to paycheck. I know that's hard to do, but there's a way to do that. You can have contentment in your life. You can gain that margin we've been talking about. You can begin to, to take that margin and save it. You can begin to take that margin and, and start, a, start a business or work um, up in your, your business so you can have more margin. You can begin to put money in mutual funds or, or stocks or find some people that are like-minded who are like middle-class people like you. And you can begin to pull your money together and maybe purchase a little part of a business or something. Just because you may have less than someone else doesn't mean that you can't be smart with your money. And this is what this guy, this guy did. And it still took contentment for him, and it takes contentment for us. But over time, you can begin to see a return on your investment. But then there's this final guy. I'm going to call him the prepper. Anybody know a prepper? Any preppers? Okay. You know some preppers, uh, the ones that just, just hoard everything, you know, like they're, they're, they're scared about like the government and conspiracies. And you're like, do you see hear, hear that? You probably saw some of your family at Thanksgiving, uh, maybe some conspiracy people, uh, some preppers. And they're, they're hiding stuff and they're, they're getting ready for the end of the world. Like they're scared of something, right? And they're preparing for that. And you might think that is smart, but this guy right here, he was focused on himself. 
And most of the time, preppers are just focused on themselves. And this guy, he took this money, and it was all about him. He was scared for his own future. And he was actually scared to, to use that money because he thought he was actually going to be able, had a chance to lose it. We say, hey, use it or lose it, right? That's kind of a saying. But this guy was scared to use it because he thought he might actually lose it. And there's a result to this story. So these, this is what these guys, this is the, their, what the, the result was of, the, of their lives. And, and Jesus is, is going to teach this story about this guy comes back. The, the master comes back. And look at verse 19. Here's what it says. It says, after a long time, okay, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they used his money. I, I had to, to show this here. They were called to give an account of his money, right? His resources. You see, the master in this story, he expected a return on his investment, okay? And God expects a return on his investment too. And the reality is, for every single person in this room, everybody that listens and watches this, you and God someday are going to meet up. Whether Jesus comes back in your lifetime or you die and you go to the, the judgment seat of Christ. And every single person is going to have to get down on their knees and give an account of their life. And my prayer is, is that you, for every single person in this room, can say, you know what? I plead the blood of Jesus. I, I have no way of making myself right. I have no way of getting into heaven, but I trust in the blood of Jesus. That's all I've got, God. That's all I've got. But I believe there's some people listening to this right now that you would, at the judgment seat, you would not be able to do that. You'd say, well, no, I did a lot of good things. I even invested my money uh, correctly. I, I even gave to the church. I did, I did all these things. And God's just going to be like, that's, that's not what fixes you. That's not going to make you right. Only the blood of Jesus who died on the cross. And when you, when you trust in that and put your faith in that's the only thing that's going to save you. But for those of us who are saved, this is what's crazy. We can plead the blood of Jesus and we will get into heaven. Then the question is going to be asked, and the Bible talks about this in several places in Romans um, and, and 2 Corinthians. It says, you are still going to have to give an account for your life. Think about that. Every single person is like, I'm a believer, okay? My, my eternity is secure. You and I are still going to have to give an account for our life. God's going to say, I gave you all this stuff. What did you do with it? What did you do with your life? You see, your life is producing something. And Jesus is going to ask, what was the product of your life? That's what happened in this story. These guys, they have to, they have to put their product on the table. They laid on the table the, the product of, of the time that the master was gone. And the master ends up rewarding two of the guys. The investor and the nine-to-fiver, the, the, the five-bad guy and the two-bad guy. The ones that, that took that and they doubled the, the, the resources. He, he rewards them and gives them more. But to the guy that, that hoarded it, the guy that, that hid it, the guy that was scared for his own safety and his own future... The Bible says he, he punished them. And at the very end of the story, it says that there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, that, that, we see that in the Bible a lot. But why was this guy doing this? Well, I think it was because he was, 
he had so much regret. Man, I just wonder about our lives. At the end of our lives, are we going to be weeping and gnashing our teeth some? Because we have some regret that we spent the resources, the abilities, the life that God gave us, we spent it on ourselves. Now, I always thought this parable was unfair. Anybody think this parable is kind of unfair? I mean, this, this one guy, this poor one bag guy, he wasn't blessed like the other guys were. Man, and he was punished for what he did. He was just trying to be frugal with his money. Like, honestly, I read that sometimes. I'm like, man, that's not really fair, Jesus. Like, what are you, what are you trying to say? But I was thinking about this. This guy had it the easiest. He had the least amount of responsibility, okay? And he had the least amount of risk. And yet he was still living in fear. Can you imagine if he was given the $5 million? Like he's like, ah, he wouldn't know what to do with it, right? This guy, even though he only had a little bit, he was still afraid. And I think it was because of this. Because his mission was all about himself. The whole purpose of everything was, was self-preservation and providing for his own, own future. While these other two guys were on mission for their master. And here's a question for every single one of us. Are you on mission for the master? In your life, are you on mission for the master? And I'm not talking just about serving or volunteering or those kind of things. But, but what about your treasure? We've been talking about the last three weeks. What are you doing with your treasure? The reality is most of us wish we had more. Anybody wish we had more? Hey, look, it's just Clayton talking now, okay? If I had more, I could do a lot of cool things. Man, Holly and I have that conversation a lot. I'm like, man, we, wouldn't it be a crazy life if, we, life if we were just really wealthy and all the, the ways we could give and all the things we could do and ways we could bless people? I think a lot of us were like, you know, if I just had more, then I could be on mission. But here's what Jesus is teaching. Jesus, he expects you to be intentional with what you have, not with what you don't have. What I mean by that is Jesus wants you, whether you are a young person or an old person, whether you have a little or a lot, he wants you to be faithful now. Not waiting for some futuristic version of yourself where you're a millionaire and you've got all of life figured out. Because the truth is, based on statistics, that being rich does not mean that you're going to be intentional or on mission. Look, look at, look at this, this chart here, these, these stats. Here's some research that's been done about charity based off of your income. And looking at the percentage of income given to charity based on how much money you make. So look at this. If, if the people in America, they make less than $25,000. like, that's not much at all. You can't even really live on that. Those people give, on average, 8% of their income to charity. Those who make twenty-five to 50000 they, they give about 5%. Those who make fifty to 75000 4%. Y'all see a pattern here? Those who make seventy-five to 100, 3%. It's going down. 100 to 200000 2.5%. And over 200000 again, 2.5%. Some of you guys say, hey, I can do math. Like 2.5% of a whole lot is a lot more than 8% of a whole, whole little, right? Not very much. But that's not the point. The point is not the sum of the, the amount the point is sacrifice. 
And sacrifice is what biblical generosity is all about. And so no matter where you land on this, on this spectrum, on, on this, this screen right here, my question is, when it comes to your generosity, is it sacrificial? So I titled this next portion, it's not, not here on the screen, but I just titled it Clayton's Rant on Tithing, okay? Um, so can I talk about tithing real quick? There's only two things that, are, that most pastors and preachers avoid, and it's uh, sex and tithing, okay? And so we're going to talk about tithing um, right now. So <laughs> all right, so there, there's a big difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament when it, comes to, when it comes to tithing, okay? The Old Testament teaches that you should tithe. Um, the Old Testament, it's, it's a requirement. There's a lot of laws. There's over 600 laws in the Old Testament, things that you're required to do as a, as a believer, as a, as a Hebrew, okay? And the word tithe actually means tenth, okay? So it was a requirement. You had to give 10% of your, of your, your income or of your, your crops. You flip over to the New Testament, and something has changed. You see, Jesus, he says, hey, I, I've not come to abolish that. I've come to fulfill it. That was the old covenant. I'm creating a, a new covenant in my blood, okay? And in the New Testament, it doesn't talk about tithing. I don't know if you all knew that. It, it doesn't talk about, uh, hey, you got to give 10% of your income. That, that, that's something that we kind of carry over from the Old Testament. The New Testament doesn't talk about it. So there is great freedom there that, that the Bible talks about. We are not bound by that Old Testament law. Some of us like to be bound by it. We love to be bound by that, that, that tenth, that, that tithe. But, man, we don't like to be bound by the other things in the, in the Old Testament, okay? You start reading some of Leviticus, okay? And then we'll have a conversation. So, but the Old Testament talks about that. The New Testament doesn't talk about it, but the New Testament does give some principles, okay? There's several places. Um, 1 Corinthians is, is a big, uh, chapter, eight and verse, uh, chapter, chapter 8 and chapter 16 are, are two places that talk a whole lot about, about giving, what giving looks like. And it says a couple of principles one is that we are supposed to give regularly, okay? Meaning that's not just some, some no plan kind of idea. It's something that we should give regularly from what God has given us. Those chapters also talk about how we should give in proportion to our income. So we should look at how much we're making, the resources God has given us, and we should give in proportion to that. And that proportion is not 10%. It doesn't say that specifically, but that's a good guide for us to go on. And then it says we're also supposed to give generously and sacrificially, okay? That we should be, um, just as God's been generous to us, we also should be generous in, in, our, in our charity towards him and towards other people. And to a point where it is sacrificial, where you actually, you feel it, okay? So there are some great principles there, but also in the New Testament, there's a great example for us. The early church people, they were just like you and me. They set an incredible example, and what it means to be generous. You see, they actually came together, okay, and they were poor people. I mean, if they walked into this room and knew how much we had, they would be blown away, okay? They were poor people, and yet they still were selling property. They were still um, coming together, and they gave up some serious future plans in their lives because they recognized what God had done for them through Jesus on the cross, and they said, you know what? It doesn't matter. None of that matters anymore. And here's what they did. They were, they were moved to radical generosity. 
I love that. They, they were moved to radical generosity. They didn't see being generous as this financial decision or this, this uh, tax benefit, okay, like we do today. They looked at it as a spiritual act of worship, of worshiping God. And my fear is, is that for a lot of the church, not for everybody, but for some people in the church, we don't, we don't have radical generosity. We're not moved by that. Instead, we are, we are guilted into tipping the church. We're guilted into tipping the church. That might rub you the wrong way a little bit, okay? But let's how it plays out, okay? Man, I really didn't like that service today. I don't really like that the staff, they, they're kind of rude and they're busy and they kind of ignore me and I didn't like what they were saying. Um, music was poor. So I'm just, I'm just not going to give. You know what that sounds like? Sounds like you're at a restaurant, doesn't it? Man, the service was poor. The, the wait staff just kind of ignored me. The music that was playing wasn't good. I didn't like what they were saying. So when that bill comes, you're like, I got this, right? I got it. You pull out your wallet, you pay. Then you're obligated to give a tip. And so you, you hide it so no one else can see it. Right? You, you, write, you write something there. You're obligated to do that, but you're like, I'm, I'm going to give based on how good it was, how good the service was. You see, biblical generosity is not tipping the church. Biblical generosity looks like a little kid who had a lemonade stand during the summer, made a few dollars. The parents say, hey, you need to think about being generous with what God has given you. And that's the worst, isn't it, kids? Like you got to like, take a couple bucks out and you put in that little envelope, you put in that, that, that offering envelope. And the, actually, the worst is when your parents make you take like tax money out and set it aside. That's terrible. It's a good life lesson. But you take that, that, that kid brings that to church, and they've, they've licked that envelope, and they've, they've, they've sealed it, and they go and put it in the offering plate or in, in the box. That's generosity. No matter what happens here, it's saying, I'm going to be obedient to God. You see, the early church, they, they got it right. They, they understood God's sacrifice, and so in turn, they wanted to be sacrificial, just like God was, right? And they were in it together, which is a crazy idea in this modern way that we do church because we've moved away um, from this idea of shared responsibility as a church. Instead, we've moved to this Americanized um, form of a, of a private decision that some people give, some people don't give, and it's nobody else's business what I do. Let me give you some stats here about Central. 60% of our church gives. That is the truth. 60% gives. Look, if my, if my son mowed 60% of the yard, have you done that before? <laughs> might have, he doesn't like to weed eat at all. Okay. Um, if my son only mowed 60% of, of the yard, I would not be pleased. If my daughter turned in report card at the end of the semester, and had 60s on all of her. She's like, don't look at me. Um, if she, she turned in 60s on, on all of her grades. I would not be pleased, right? Are you okay with 
Now, here's the problem about, about where we live today. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's 25% more expensive just to live right now than it was three years ago. So I get it. Families, it's tough. My family, it is tough. But you know who else it's also tough for? The church. We have some of the same bills. <laughs> the church, your church family has some of the same bills that you do. And everything's more expensive. And we just did our 2024 budget uh, a couple of weeks ago. And we went line by line. And here's what happened. This was the process in a nutshell. We had to say no to some things. We had to say no to some ministry opportunities. We had to say no to, I would equate to, to lives being changed. We had to say no to some families that were in need. You know what else? We even had to say no to taking care of some employees' families the way that we need to. We had to say no to that, and it breaks my heart. It, it keeps me up at night. Like, I don't like this part of the job. I tell the staff all the time, you don't, you don't want to trade jobs? <laughs> like, let's go. It, it, it's tough. And the stewardship team and I, we sat in my office around, around the, the conference table, and, and for, for many meetings and for hours, we went through and talked about um, where we were at. And, you know, and I stopped at one time, and I said, look, if just 10% of our church, 10% more gave, just 10% more, we would not be having these conversations. Isn't that crazy? And if the early church walked in here, I wonder what they would say. They'd be like, man, you guys have more than, you, than we could ever even imagine. You have more opportunities uh, to share the gospel and, and get it um, proclaimed out into the world than, than, than ever before. And only 60%, and some of you, that 60% is actually just a tip. It's based on, on how good things are going. Do you know how, how I, look, I, I never know how, whoever, who gives. I don't know. I don't want to know. I have no numbers at all. But do you know how we know when someone is about to leave Central? They stop giving. That's like the first indication. Something's not right. They're mad about something. I don't know what it is, right? You see, God doesn't want a tip. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. This is not a sermon about guilting you into giving. It's not what it is. We don't have money to buy batteries. <laughs> That's funny. It's like, it's not me. I don't know what's going on. Look, if you want God's hand in your life, he's got to have your heart. And, and the, the Bible says, and Jesus says this, where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also, right? I believe God's hand was in the early church because they were all in. And God did some incredible things. We are doing well as a church, but I would say this, we can do better. And let me, let me speak to the, the members here at Central. To be a member here at Central, you do not have to give. That's not a requirement. You're not signing a blood oath or anything like that. It's not crazy cultish thing. Like we're not doing that. 
It's not a requirement, but it is an expectation, okay? And thank goodness that when it comes to you and God, salvation is not based on your giving, okay? It's not an expectation, it's not, it's not a requirement, but God has an expectation for you to give. So how can you give? If you're wondering about what that looks like, here's how you can do this. Start where you are. I think this is what this story is talking about. Start where you are. No matter if you're a five-bag person, a two-bag person, or a one-bag person, start where you are. Instead of, of starting when everything is perfect, when like you, you, you've paid off the credit cards, when you've paid off the medical bills, when your kids are out of, out of the house, when all your finances are in order and that inheritance comes in, you're waiting for all those things to happen. You're waiting for that, that cushion in you, your life. Here's the reality. You will always have problems. Ask a wealthy person in this room. Are all your problems solved? No, you're, you will always have problems. You always have financial um, issues and limitations. If you're waiting until all those things are figured out, here's what's going to happen. You will die waiting. You'll always be waiting. Let me speak to the teenagers that are hiding over here in the corner. You know, in the first service, they sit in the front. I'm not saying they're better than you, but I'm just saying. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm going to hear about this all afternoon. Okay, sorry. Teenagers, here's my question to you. Do you give? Okay, <laughs> it's like, I don't have money, okay. Some of you guys have jobs. Some of you guys get an allowance. Look, look, your giving may be very small right now. But you know what you're doing? You're creating a habit. You're creating a spiritual habit. Most of y'all look at this and be like, I don't, I don't have much, so it's not going to mean anything. But what's going to happen is, is you're going to get a little bit more. And you'll be like, I don't have, as, I don't have enough to give. Then you're going to get a little bit more. I don't have enough to give. All of a sudden, you're middle aged. I'm, I'm making a lot of money, but I don't have a, a lot. Like, it's, it, never, it never ends. Because here's, here's, what, here's what Jesus said. He said, if you can't be trusted with a little bit, how can I trust you? with more. I think that's a great lesson for all of us. If we can't be trusted with what God has given us, why do we expect God to continue to bless us? Something has to change. Something has to change. So, so start now. If you're a teenager, start now. If you're someone that's like, I've never given before, or man, it's tough right now, just, just start now. And I need to pause and say, I, thank you, church. Like, church, you guys are awesome. I'd clap if I had two hands available, okay? Look, we've been so generous here. Y'all are incredible. Uh, I mean, we, we've had a capital campaign. Um, these last three years of, of, our, of our church financially have probably been the healthiest we've ever been. It's, it's been amazing. And so I, I want to recognize that. Um, but I hope that you know that God's intent is not to, to beat you down, okay, with this message. It's to liberate you from a life that says you have to hold on to those things. That your life, the sum total of your life is all about your stuff. God has something bigger for your life. And here's the deal. You don't have to be rich to be obedient. You don't have to be a, a five-bag person to make an impact in this world. But let me say this. If you are a five-bag person you have a big responsibility, okay? You have a big responsibility to steward those resources well. And, and 
the Bible talks about it here. It says that it was divided up based on their abilities. God knows your abilities. He's blessed you with abilities, so use them for his kingdom, right? How are you leveraging your five bags? If you have two bags, how are you leveraging those two bags? Those of you who are working hard, you're probably working for the man, but you still have this equal responsibility to take the things that God has given you and to be all in in the mission. I think it's actually kind of harder for us sometimes who would say we're just kind of in the middle because we're at this crossroads of, of, of following the world that says, hey, here's what your heart should be all after, and we're going to entice you with those things and, and bring your, your treasure with you because we'd like all of it. Instead... We have a chance to say, you know what, I'm going to make some decisions to put my treasure in the places that God wants me to have them. And then my heart will begin to follow. And you know what else starts to begin to follow? Your feet and your hands and your life. So as a church, I mean, I, mean, I celebrate like our, faith, our faithfulness, y'all's faithfulness. It's incredible. The sacrifice you guys have given, thank you. For the 60% that give, like, we would not be who we are without that. But here's the point. We're a family. And, and when, look, we're not going to get very far if only half of us are rowing. How many are just in the boat? That's tough, man. What that means is, Less lives get to be impacted. Our ability to proclaim the name of Jesus lessens. We don't get to reach as many people as our potential. And I don't want it to be a church that just like limps across the finish line with a few people exhausted and everybody else is like, hey, y'all did great, right? This past summer, or past uh, January, I got all the staff together, and we were talking about the new year. Guys, we were scared, man. We were about to go into this capital campaign. I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought I was going to be fired. I didn't know what was going on. So, no, not really. <laughs> but, but I got the staff around. I said, hey, guys, we, here's my ask for you because you're leaders. I'm asking you to be all in. I'm asking you to be all in with your family and you taking care of your family, your health, your family, your relationships. I'm asking you to be all in in your job, and in your position, um, in your ministry. And I'm also asking you to be all in financially. We have to be. If leaders in this room aren't doing that, like, I mean, what are we doing up here? And I asked them, I said, I know it's, it's tough. But I'm asking you to do that. We have to lead. Here's my question to you. Will you be all in? This week, start with what you have, not with what you don't have. Like, if you're not investing in anything beyond yourself, start giving this week. If, you're, if you are giving, but you would say, you know what, in my heart, in my relationship with God, that 10% is actually kind of the standard for, for me. I'm not saying it's, it's like a hard and fast thing, but if you say that's, that's where, where I'm at and you're not doing that, maybe it's time to, to bump that up. That's between you and God. For some of us in the room, you might be giving 10%, but there's an opportunity for you to give more. Because 10% isn't really sacrificial at all. It's just kind of like, ah, it's no big deal. I don't, I don't even recognize it being gone. Like, it's not what this, it's not about asking for your money. And look, if you don't, 
feel God's called you to this church, go to another church and give sacrificially, right? Because when they win, we win. Amen? We all win. God's kingdom wins. But we have to be all in together for that to happen. Jesus expects us to be faithful with what we have. And I want to actually help you to do that. And so if you get our emails tomorrow, you're going to get an email, so look for it. It's just going to be some practical ways. If you're like, hey, I'd love to start doing that, I've got some great ways that you can start to be generous um, with the resources that God has given you. Here's my prayer as we close. Don't hide your resources from the master. He gave them to you, right? My prayer is that when you walk out of this place, it would not be about where you're going to lunch, but instead, what are you doing with your life? Because the truth is, I'm going to have to give an account for my life. You're going to have to give an account for your life of what you're producing with the resources God has given you. And I pray that at the end, that God will say, just like this master says in the story, well done, good and faithful servant. In fact, I'd like to pray for you right now. Would you bow your heads? God, I just want to say thank you for the faithfulness of this church. You're doing something really incredible here, and I, I'm, I'm humbled, overwhelmed. But God, I don't feel like we're all in as a family. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak into the lives of those who need to make some decisions today. I pray, Lord, they would not be guilted into tipping the church. We don't want that. You don't want a tip. You want their heart, God. And I pray, Lord, that their hearts will be softened softened to, to be all in for you. You know what those those things are for every single family here. So Lord, do your work. Thank you that we have an example of generosity. <laughs> we can never outgive you. We can never repay you. But our lives can be a sacrifice. And they can be all in. But it's our decision of putting our treasure where it needs to be and watching our heart follow. I pray, Lord, for anyone in this room, anybody watching, listening right now who, who's never been all in spiritually with you, who's never laid down all their good works, never laid down all their sin at the cross and said, Jesus, take it all. I just want you. I pray that, God, you would convict them to do that today. The Bible's really clear that those who believe in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And those who confess with their mouth, they, they will be saved. It's, it's easy. And it's life-changing, God. If there's anybody, I pray, God, that you would call them to repentance and to a new life. And they be, can begin to live their life on mission. Help us, God, to be on mission as a church, as a family, all together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
We are super glad that you decided to join us today. And if you watch us every week, we're so glad that you join us. And if you're watching right now for the very first time, um, we wanna just say, welcome to the family. We're so glad that you're here. Um, if you're someone who during the message, you thought, you know what? I want to know more about Christ. I wanna give my life to Jesus. And I, I want to know what it means to be forgiven. Uh, we want to connect with you. So if you could text forgiven to 94,000, and that way, one of our ministers can reach out to you and you can begin that conversation of knowing how God can change your life. Um, here at Central, we truly do believe that Jesus changes everything. See you guys later.